0: We're so excited about, about you being here this morning. Uh, wow, what a great, great group of people here today. It's, it's been a great summer for us as a church. I mean, from children's ministry to youth ministry, there's so much going on. I, I couldn't even list it all. And uh, in adult ministry, we started these equipping classes last Wednesday night. Trey just mentioned uh, it's not too late for you to get in there. Uh, if you need to be equipped to study your Bible or equipped to lead a small group, or equipped to disciple someone, or equipped to parent. These are fact. We had a great turnout. Go ahead and jump in this week, and you will be greatly, greatly blessed. I'm also so enjoying this summer that we're still in the middle of the Gospel of Luke, and we're meeting the unexpected Jesus over and over. And uh, in the section we're in right now, it's just these amazing miracles that Jesus is performing. I mean, we've seen him heal a widow's son. We've heal, he's seen him long distance heal a centurion servant. We've seen a woman just touch his garment, the fringe of it, and she's healed. If you keep reading, we'll see 6, 000, a man with 6,000 demons. Can you imagine it? Where they're all cast out. We'll see 5,000 people fed. And we've even seen a dead girl resurrected. And if you're his disciples and and you're in the middle of this, I'm thinking, man, I'm in this great high, man, I've seen the power of God. It's unbelievable. But here's what's going to shock you today, is when we walk into this story with his disciples today, despite everything they've seen, when they have a problem in their life, they're still not sure that Jesus is the answer. And often it's easier for us to see Jesus work in someone else's life than our own. So let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. If you want to see a picture of the humanity of Jesus, it's here. Jesus is exhausted. He's exerted himself in miracles and teaching and relationships. And just like you and I, he's the point of exhaustion that he falls asleep on this ship, even in the middle of a storm. Now, Stephanie, I at the Sea of Galilee not that long ago. And again, for us, it's just this big round lake. But it's surrounded by these hills. It, it's 6,000 square feet below sea level. And so this can easily happen. We asked our tour guide leaders there if they've seen it, and they all said they had is that when winds would begin to sweep over those mountains and down into that valley in the sea, it would cause a tremendous squall. In fact, sometimes it can cause a squall that's 20 feet high. So the disciples are in the middle of this. And so they're in great danger. Now I'm going to swap Gospels on you because Mark gives more details than I like. You, You may be familiar that most people think it was the Apostle Peter who told Mark what to tell. And obviously, when Peter was on that boat in the middle of this terrible storm, he remembered some details of what had happened. I want you to hear those. So listen. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. What a cool little detail. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we drowned? Jesus in the back of the boat, sleeping on this cushion. They're about to die. And just like you and I, when we hit that moment in our life, we begin to wonder if God actually cares. I mean, how in the world can you sleep through this when we think we're about to drown? And and Jesus doesn't answer it. He just got up. He rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, Quiet, be still. That's the exact same Greek word he used when he told a demon to get quiet. And what it means is absolute silence. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, this is a miracle. Normally, after the wind dies down, a sea like this will churn for a while. It's immediately like glass on a lake. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Guys, you've seen all these great things, and all you needed me to do is still a storm? And you're doubting? But watch this. This is surprising to me. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey Him. My goodness, they are terrified here in the presence of God. That's a common reaction. Anytime in the Bible, somebody recognizes they're with God, man, their, their response is, Oh my goodness, God, you got to get away. Because listen to what these guys have seen. Let's, let's make our first point here. Uh, it's obvious, Jesus calms the storm. But what we see here in the gospel is is his power over nature, as we're seeing today, over disease, and even over death. So, I don't know about you, maybe you don't experience what I do, but when I'm reading the gospel like this, and I'm seeing all these crazy miracles to sick people and dead people and storms I struggle with it a little bit. Because I know the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm always like, Jesus, if you you did all this kind of thing then, then then why did I not see you do it now? In in fact, let's just talk about miracles for a little bit. Because I I see two extreme views about God. One says... He never performs miracles anymore. That was the first century thing. Jesus did it, apostles did it, slam shut, it's over, no miracles. On the other extreme, I see people that go, you know what? He always performs miracles. If you've just got enough faith, then God will always do it. The answer is always yes. I used to have a really close friend. I love the death. And he believed if he went to pray with somebody and they were sick, and if they were not immediately healed, there was only two conclusions. Either he had not had enough faith in his prayer, or or the person he prayed for had not had enough faith while he prayed. And that's theologically where he was. Now, I think both of those points are extremely dangerous. Over here, if we believe that God never performs miracles, we've gone to what I would call deism. God created the world, sent Jesus through us the Bible, went back to heaven and said, I hope you make it. And, And it leaves no room for God's intervention. It actually... It almost makes it hard to pray, because a miracle is simply an interruption of nature. It's when things are supposed to go one way, and God intervenes, and it changes it. And if we don't believe God does that, then I've got to ask you for a moment, why do we pray? So that's dangerous. But the other side, I think, is maybe even more dangerous, because it it turns God into a puppet. And if I've got the right formula and say the right things, then God's always got to do what I ask Him to do. And so he, he stops being God. And so today, uh, as, as we look at this, I want us to get to a healthy view of, of miracles. Guys, I'll just be upfront with you. I believe miracles still happen. I've seen some. I probably haven't seen as many as I'd like to. I want to show you a picture of a miracle. It's a man who lives here in Montgomery named Larry Edwards. He's friends of a good friend of mine. On the left side, you'll see what happened to his face and head with skin cancer he had the very worst kind of skin cancer by this point the doctors have completely given up he's on hospice care expected to die well can't go by the doctor anymore so he just calls everybody he knows and says start praying and after that he goes back to the doctor and his face is healed let me tell you this. The doctors have no explanation. It makes no sense. And I believe God does those kind of things. I don't think he always does those kind of things. Because when I see a picture like this, and I read stories like this, then I look out among you, and I know some of you are struggling with skin cancer. Some of you have other forms of cancer. Some of you have Parkinson's disease. some of you, And, and I go, God, okay, why are you not answering this prayer when you did that? We know you can do it. So let's talk about this. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to, to look at some verses from Hebrews where he's got to re- remind them about God's miracles because in Hebrews you, got, you have some Jewish Christians who became Christians and everything was cool. Then they started having some storms in their life and they are slowly drifting from God. And he wants to remind them of the truth of what they believe. Hebrews chapter 2. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation? You can leave this? That was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself, and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Now watch this. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So, That's what I believe about miracles. When God wants to do it, he does it. When he doesn't, he doesn't. So, how do we make sense of this? What are the, purpose, the purposes of miracles? Let me give you three. Number one, I think we see this in the Gospel of Luke, is to display God's compassion. In the beginning of almost every miracle in the Gospels, it says that Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. And what this says to you and me in the middle of our problems is that God is moved and that God cares And he's full of compassion. But then we learn from Hebrews here and other places that another purpose is to confirm Jesus' message. How do you know that he's really God? How could you know that what he says is absolutely, bet your life on it, true? It's when he does things that you and I know only God could do. And so, looking look back at verse 4. It says, And God confirmed the message by the signs and miracles and wonders. So, God confirms that this is true by all these incredible miracles. But here's a point I missed for a long time, and it starts with the word point. Number three, it, these miracles point to future perfection. The, the key word here that's finally helped me get a handle on understanding this, is the word sign. These miracles are called signs. What is a sign? A sign is something that simply points to a destination. The sign is not the big deal. It's where it's pointing to that's the big deal. For instance, if you or taking your family to Disney World and you cross the Florida border and you begin to see signs to Disney World says 90 miles to Disney World, you don't normally stop at that sign. You're glad to see it, but you don't stop and camp out. You don't go get you a hotel room and say, can I get a five-day pass to come see the sign? I mean, you, you don't say, okay, kids, tomorrow morning we're waking up and we're going to go to the, the Disney World sign and we're going to have a picnic. We're going to go get on top of the sign and ride the sign. No, the sign is just a sign. The big deal is, is telling you you're getting close to Disney World. That's where you stop. And guys, miracles in the Bible and even miracles today don't think they're the end-all, be-all. Some people act like that's the only thing that matters. My friends, they do matter. We, we've seen the reasons, but they're, they're a sign. Even when Jesus walked this earth and did all these miracles, recognize this with me. He didn't heal everybody. He didn't go to hospital ward and clean it out. We only have records of of, of three resurrections in the gospel. So the graveyards basically stayed the same, besides three people. Because Jesus understood what the sign is supposed to do was to point to Him. Always be leery of anybody who makes a bigger deal about the sign than they do about Jesus, okay? So, he does miracles, but he doesn't always do them. And it points us to, here's the cool thing, it's pointing us to a day when everything is going to be perfect, and everyone will be healed, and everyone will be resurrected. So let, let me put it for you while we study that. I hope this will help you. It helps me. Here's the age that we live in in Christianity. We live in what I call the already, but not yet. Already, not yet. In other words, We've already got it. A, a, a simple word is the word salvation. The Bible says if you're in Christ, you are saved. But the Bible also says that one day when Jesus comes back, you'll be saved. In other words, you get part of it here, but one day you'll get it full. Now, let me, let me give you some, some illustrations of this in the Bible. In the book of Romans, in chapter 8, um, He talks about that you're adopted. Okay, we've all been adopted in the family of God. That's verse 13. But 10 verses later, verse 23, he says you're waiting for your adoption. What? Ephesians chapter 1, he says you're redeemed. Ephesians chapter 4, he says you're waiting for redemption. Romans chapter 6 says you've been resurrected. Romans chapter 8 says we're waiting for resurrection. What is the deal? Is that contradictory? Not at all. He's simply saying you've experienced it. But one day you will experience it fully. You're not quite there yet. So what do we do in this already not yet time? Let me give you four descriptions the Bible says of how we react to this. First of all, we enjoy the first fruits. That to me is probably the significant word. The the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of redemption, all these things. We're told we get the first fruits. What, what does that mean? We ain't not got the whole basket yet. Uh, what God does is to give us hope is God, God gives us a taste of what one day we will fully have. You understand this? How many of you grew up with your mom when she's cooking a cake and she's doing the icing, she had let you lick the batter off, what do you call those things? The beaters, excuse me, the beaters, that sounds dangerous. She had let. In fact, someone asked me after first service, did your mom cut the beaters off while you licked it? Yes, she did, okay? <laughs> but, but that was a cool thing. I loved it. My mom come on in, here's the beaters. and you. Oh, that was just a taste of the amazement of the cake that she had baked. And guys, the, these things that we experience today are wonderful, but they're, they're a taste of what we're going to fully experience One day. And that's what the signs point to. Another word, and this might be one you relate to, is the word groan. That's what's used in Romans chapter 8 about this in-between time where we're we're tasting some of the goodness of God, but we still live in a fallen world. And Paul says, this crazy world where you got tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes, even the the globe itself groans. And, And here we are between you know, tasting the goodness and grace and miracles of God and waiting for the full thing. He says, we groan. Look at Romans 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right at the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Your body breaking down if you're aging it is. You ever groan about that? Paul says, we're we're groaning, waiting for this. And so there are probably people in this audience today that, you know what, you're in between this time, and and life's difficult, you're in the middle of a storm, and you're groaning, that's okay. And and then another word used here is we eagerly await. The the literal Greek word here is while we're in this in-between time, we are on our tiptoes looking out to see when Jesus comes back. Makes us hungry for heaven, doesn't it? And then the next word here I'd use is the kingdom expands. Re- remember what Jesus said? Jesus said when he walked this earth, the kingdom of God is here. There was an outbreak when Jesus walked the earth of God's kingdom. Things begin. dead people resurrected, sick people were healed, lonely people were befriended, lost people were saved. The kingdom is here, but it's not completely here. That's why God says to us, Buddy, you need to be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you said the kingdom is already. It is in part. But you continue to pray for the kingdom to come. And one day we'll experience the kingdom of God fully. That's why sometimes when you hear about the kingdom of God in the Bible, it, it's, it's about heaven. So, so what happens, what, what, what's our job? Our job between here and there is to expand the kingdom. You, you see, one day Jesus will come back. And restore the earth to its full glory. And everything will be perfect. In between that time and now, we start the work. We we pray the prayer, your kingdom come. We offer ourselves to be part of bringing the kingdom. You see, listen to me. Here's a good sentence for you to walk out of here on. Our job is to bring heaven to earth. That's why when you minister to a lonely person, you're bringing heaven to earth. You minister to a sick person, you're bringing heaven to earth. You minister to a depressed person, you're bringing heaven to earth. We're beginning the first fruits. Now let me, let, me get a, let another man give a stab at it, probably do better than I would. A good friend of mine is Leonard Allen. He's the head of the Bible department at Lipscomb University. Listen to what he writes about this. Through the Holy Spirit, the church witnesses to the inbringing of God's reign. God's reign is busting in. We taste the banquet fare of the kingdom in advance, and we become an instrument of God's kingdom by us now bringing the kingdom by expanding the ministry of Jesus. That's what we're doing, and that's where we are. So, good look at miracles. Pray for them, but let God be sovereign. Let me make one more point here. Not did Jesus calm a storm, but in in this story, what what shocked me reading it that never hit me before is that Jesus also creates a storm. When Jesus does this incredible miracle, calms a storm, everything's cool, the disciples, did this shock you, are terrified. I expect them to be excited. I'd step them to take their iPhones out and start taking selfies with the calm water behind them. What's going on here? I mean, you know, I think if I'm there, what I think I would say is, Wow, God, man, look what you did. But they say what every other person in the Bible says when they encounter God. Whoa, I don't belong here. Write this down. They recognize that Jesus is no mere teacher or prophet or even a faith healer. He is the Lord. It's in this moment, for whatever reason, full force, it comes on these guys that Jesus is God. That's the difference in seeing a sign for the Grand Canyon... And standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and being blown away by its enormity and beauty and the God who created it. That's where they are. They've seen the power of God. And they're completely shook up. They're they're terrified because if He is the Lord of nature and He's the Lord of our bodies and He's the Lord of this earth... Then he better be the Lord of my life. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I think we've tamed Jesus. We've tamed Jesus to the point that we are no longer terrified by his power and his presence. We've made him, and I understand this language to a point, our best buddy. You know I'm your best buddy, okay? But our best buddy. We, we, we've made him this sweet little character that we can sort of... My, my, my friends, your first encounter with Jesus, if you understand who he is and the power he has and the rights he ought to have over your life, listen to me, it would terrify you. We, tempt, we attempt to control him when the truth is he is supposed to control us. If you're not living under the authority of Jesus Christ today, let me just tell you, and you probably don't want to hear this, and I probably don't really want to say this, but you ought to be terrified. But your second response will not be terror, it will be hope. Your second response is when you finally recognize He's God and you submit to Him, you become thankful that you have a God who cares, and a God who acts. And you finally realize that after you get over him creating this storm in your life, because let me tell you, when you begin to meet Jesus the Lord, he is going to turn your life and my life upside down. It will not look the same. Your priorities will not look the same. Your beliefs will not look the same. Your attitudes will not look It is going to shake it up. But once you get that done, then you're going to understand that Jesus, here's the good news today, Jesus will calm your storm. Because he's got the power. The power that shook you up now can bless you. In fact, I love this story, Mark chapter 6. This is a different boat story. Disciples this time are crossing the Sea of Galilee by themselves. And it says that there was a storm that came up, and they're afraid there. Then he, Jesus, climbed to the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. You see, we serve a God who wants to get in the boat with you. Now look at this next passage, because this is so honest. John 16, I have told you, Jesus said these things, so that in me you may have peace. Does that mean everything in your life can go the way you want it? Nope. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's already and not yet. Jesus says, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have storms. But even in the storm, I can give you peace. You see, when you're in a storm and you begin to talk to this powerful God about it, either He is going to calm the storm or He's going to calm you in the middle of the storm. But here's the cool, cool, cool news today. Don't miss it. God's walking on the water to get in the boat with you. I don't care what you're going through. In fact, let me make a list here just for a moment. Six storms that I see prevalent in the landmark family. These are the ones I probably not an exhaustive list, but these are the ones I hear about. First of all is family storms. Some of you your family storms is you don't have a family. Or you hadn't been able to find a spouse. Some of you this is a big big storm in this church. You have a spouse but you're you're infertile and it's an absolutely shakes your world up. Some of you you've lost a spouse or you've lost a child. And how do you get over that? Some of you live in the middle of abuse. Many, many of you have been through divorce. And let me say this, guys. This is why God hates divorce. Because especially if you had a divorce and you had children, I know this from talking to some of you, that storm never ends. It never ends. And some of you, the storm of your life, and I hear this often, is that your children have walked away from God And you can't put them in time out and you can't spank them. And you don't know what to do but pray and ask the great healer to do something. And you're in the middle of a storm. Uh, uh, Close to that is financial storms. Some of you by your own mistakes and neglect. Some of us by mistakes we didn't make. If we found ourselves in a financial storm where the money coming in doesn't match the money going out. And you're getting deeper and deeper in debt and it affects everything you're doing. Many, many of us in here struggle with mental storms. I don't think there's a week goes by that I don't talk to somebody about depression or anxiety. And maybe it's because they know I've struggled with depression in my life. But I'm telling you, we've got an epidemic in our world of these things. Some of you are dealing with health storms. I mean, I could go through the list of people. It breaks my heart, and we've prayed, and yet... You, you still, you've not been healed, and it's a storm that's affecting everything you do. So many in here have addiction storms. That's why I love our RSVP ministry. Everything from the traditional addictions like alcohol and cocaine to now the number one addiction, opioids or pornography. And it, too, is epidemic. And that addiction, that's what they call an Addiction. It has come as a storm in your life. And you're having a hard time calming those waters. Because it's not only affected you, it's affected the people you love. And that brings you to the last storms, and those are sin storms. Maybe in the middle of that right now, you did something you thought you could never, ever do. And at one point, you fooled yourself to think you could get away with it. But your sins find you out. And you're sitting in the wreckage of your life. And what the evil one has done through sin. So, what do we do about this? We, we, we come back to Jesus to either steal the storm or steal us. I mean, just for a moment, would you just look at this list? I want to ask you this question Are any of you going through any of those storms? Or maybe there's a storm in your life that, that I didn't list, but it's a storm nonetheless. Today, I want to encourage you to get some prayers before you get out of here. In fact, I want to go ahead and invite the shepherds and their wives, Stephanie and I will stand up here too, to come surround the front of the stage. I want to ask staff members and their spouses to sort of spread out across the back. Because in just a few moments while we sing a couple of songs, I want to give you an opportunity to go to one of these people and receive prayers. Please do this. Just go to them. Give them your name and tell them your storm. Not complicated. You don't have to write it down. We're not going to publicly say it. But if you're in a storm right now, here's the good news. We serve a God who gets out of his perfect boat to get into your leaky boat swamped by the tide of the storms. Right now, you may feel that you're in that boat, and it's linking, and you don't know what you're going to do. But, but we, this story is a sign to you that God wants to get in that boat with you. And if, if you're there, please let us pray before you get out of here. Others of you, you're just beginning to recognize that Jesus is the Lord. And you're terrified, because that means that He's going to be a storm in your life. that means you're going to have to change some things. But I would challenge you, this is a God that cares about you. This is a God who, if you will recognize who He is, not only does He have the power in your life, but He's given the promise right now, right now, to give you a taste of heaven on earth, and one day to give you complete heaven on earth. Now, I understand this. When you're in a storm, the natural temptation is to want to Run away from God. God, why did you let this happen? Why did you not heal this? Why did you not intervene here? But I want to challenge you today. That's not a wise thing to do. If you're in a storm right now, you need to run toward God. Here's the cool news. Jesus is walking toward your boat. He wants to get in it. Don't paddle the other way. Because he can steal the storm. So when we sing these next two songs please feel comfortable to let us pray for you. If you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus, meet me on this front row. So I love the moment we're about to experience. If you need to participate in it, please do. If you're outside of a storm right now, let me just go ahead and tell you. You've been in one, or there's going to be one coming. You just praise God that where you are right now and pray for the people that are coming up here. But let's all stand together and sing.